evening and welcome to another episode of the Unstoppable Overcomers and I'm your host Dorothy Odell for this evening. I would love to thank uh, tonight's sponsor of the show, The Left Foot Coach, an innovative entrepreneurial venture partner that will take your income and self-expression to the next level. With his established five-pillar methodology, The Left Foot Coach can help you build a solid foundation for success and expand your full potential. As a venture growth coach, The Left Foot Coach is dedicated to partnering with you and your established business to help you grow your income and achieve your goals. Whether you're an entrepreneur or a professional looking to take your career to the next level, the Leffa Coach can provide you with guidance, support, and resources you need to succeed. If you're ready to unlock your full potential and achieve your dreams, then schedule a free 30-minute inquiry call today with the link I'm ready to give you. And trust me, as a client who's experienced his growth interventions already, you don't want to miss this opportunity and so if you would definitely like to book your time go to calendly.com backslash xin left l-e-f-t backslash 30 minutes i tried to put it up on the comments and it wouldn't come up but we'll get you that information um but i would love to bring marcia washington to the show welcome so much marcia Oh, thank you so much, Dorothy, for allowing me to, to be a part of your show. And by the way, uh, my the, the name is Marsha. It, I know it looks like Marcia. I probably should have mentioned that before. I'm Marcia. sorry. That's okay, but it's actually Marsha, like, you know, Marsha, Marsha, Marsha Brady. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. Old enough to remember. Uh, I, I love the Brady Bunch. I actually love the Brady Bunch, and it's funny because now I'm dating myself. Well, I just turned 47 last week, so. Yeah. so you're watching watching it in repeat, you know, or you've seen yes. the repeat, you know, in the what do you call syndication? I saw the original version. <laughs> oh, I love it! So, Marcia, thank you so much for being here. Can you tell our audience a little bit about yourself and what it is that you do? Well, I am here in uh, the Pittsburgh, uh, Pennsylvania area, and um, around 50-ish or so, um, I was uh, kind of uh, let go from a position, an admin assistant or receptionist position, and at that time started wondering, oh, what do I really want to be when I grow up? And so uh, through some prayer and discernment, um, I felt I was being called to be a chaplain. And uh, so for the past five years, I have been um, before the, well, yeah, almost five years a chaplain. Past few months, I've been working as a bereavement counselor. Uh, but uh, that's probably the uh, nutshell version of my story. <laughs> wow, I love that. And go Steelers. Are you a Steelers fan? I am a Steelers fan. All right. I yeah. was there last, last August for a game my favorite oh. team yes. Oh, great. Great. yes so a chaplain so that has got to be rewarding for sure um so what made you what made you decide to go into to being a chaplain well good question and probably a little bit of a complicated story but i, I would say um probably like i said around 50 is when i was starting to uh, really discern whether or what I wanted to do. But I would say mid 40s or so, I had already gone back to school, um, Geneva College, and was in their community ministry program for uh, 
you know, the adult education uh, program. And so um, the only thing is I had, um, there were a couple classes that I hadn't taken near the end. And so it was at 50 or so when I thought, you know, we'll go back and get those couple of classes and uh, complete it. And, um, you know, then once I completed those for my bachelor's in community ministry, I just felt I was being prompted to, to continue on, go on. And I thought, well, I don't want to be a pastor. What am I going to do with this community ministry degree? And um, long story short, I started thinking maybe theology, you know, studies, but um, I ended up in the uh, Loyola University Chicago um, Pastoral Studies uh, program. And so my master's in, is in that. But um, so... And what I'm saying, too, is periodically I would check, you know, what were the requirements for a chaplain because I wanted to make sure I had that educational piece together. And uh, so I, I did realize that I needed to at least have a, um, a master's degree in something, be it theology or MDiv, you know, Masters of Divinity. But I needed those uh, under my belt in order to um, be, get into chaplaincy. And so, yeah, it, it is. Uh, rewarding. It can be challenging, but um, I love it. I, 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 I love it. Oh, I love that. And I love the fact that you said that you went back to school in your 40s. Uh, I, I love that. And you, I, you know, my great grandmother, I don't talk about her a lot, but uh, she went back to school at age 80. So she oh, went back yeah. and, and got, I don't even remember what she went back and got, but I was just like, good for you. You know, it doesn't, you, no matter what age you are, you, that sh age should never stop you. Not that 40 is old, because like I said, 40 is amazing. I think you just start life at 40 because, you know, you go through your, you go through your childhood and then you go through your teen years, which can sometimes be like, oh my God, like, what did I do? And then you go, you know, you, you get married or have kids. Some of us, some of us are late bloomers like I'm a late bloomer I didn't get married till I was 43 um I have an amazing stepson but I know I'm not gonna have my own kids um but it, it's just you know it's funny how life works and so what would you say is your um biggest thing that you've overcome what's your overcoming story oh my um <laughs> uh, to some degree uh my childhood um, but, you know, I did want to back up a little bit, too, about the chaplaincy question, because another thing that brought that to my attention was with my mom when she was um, near the end of life. Um, and I was I know I was around 48 at that time, but there was well, um, she got on the hospice and it was a chaplain that came in to see us. And, um, you know, he would just come in, see how we were doing and then offer to pray with us. And so that's when I started thinking, too, like. Oh, I could do this, you know, or I could do that. And not to say, you know, not belittling what he did, but just, again, like I said, I knew I didn't want to be a pastor. And I thought with what he was doing, I'm like, okay, maybe this is what uh, I can do with that degree. So, um, yeah. Um, but again, in terms of overcoming, um, like I said, to some degree, uh, my childhood, um, for one, there were actually, uh, in terms of, me being a chaplain and being able to uh, have compassion for people and comfort them. Uh, it was during my childhood that uh, I think there was the most people um, that I knew uh, that, that passed away in my life. I mean, 
I have told people probably between the age of 10 and 16, I think there were only two years I didn't uh, attend a funeral. You know, it kind of started a stepbrother um, that um, passed away on Easter Sunday, uh, maybe when I was 10 or so. And then a few years later, um, a brother that I grew up with drowned. He was only maybe 22, 23. Uh, a grand my grandmother passed or grandmother passed and aunt passed. And then at 16 was my dad. And when he passed, I thought, you know what, I, I'm not going to another funeral. I just, I just felt like I'm through. And of course, you're 16, you're young. Of course, there's going to be more funerals to attend. But, um, you know, I just, uh, I just couldn't, at that point, felt I just couldn't take another funeral. Um, but yeah, so like I said, um, I feel though that experiences like that uh, did help me as I got older to have uh, some compassion and definitely some understanding about uh, death and um, a little bit about grieving because when you're real young, I mean, now there's more out there about children's grief and how they grieve. But at the time when I was growing up, it just seemed it was something, you know, you just, this is a part of life and you just kind of, you'll get over it, you know, that sort of thing. Right. I'm so sorry. Um, and that At that age, like that is... I couldn't even imagine, you know, losing that many people at that age. Um, you know, I, I just before we started this, uh, this this taping here, I was just like, you know, I'm no, I'm no stranger to grief. I mean, there was a lot of people that have passed away in my life. Like I'm down to, I went from came from a big family, and now it's just my mom, my brother, and I. And uh, and you know, I think we all handle grief differently. And um, but that uh, for that age. That, that's a lot of lot of grief so I'm so sorry for your losses um with with Thank that you. and it, it's funny when you said um not funny haha but when you said your mom uh when your mom was in hospice um my we just lost my dad it would be two years in September uh, 14th and because it was in the middle of covid um and the way things had gone down and, and stuff like that he was supposed to have gone to hospice but then um due to COVID, we wouldn't have been able to be in there. And so it's like, do we keep them home or do we, you know, set that up, right? Um, and so we basically made our own hospice in our house, in my mom's, in my parents' home, and uh, took care of him, you know, for the last nine days. And, um, you know, it, it, it's funny, it, holding his hand, watching him pass away, it was just like, why am I going through this? Like, this is my hero. This is my rock. Like, why would God be doing this? Right. And, but then I'm like, okay, this is to help other people. And I, I felt, I felt like, you know, I'm dedicating my life to helping others, you know, be able to share their story and to be able to talk about the things that, you know, no one wants to talk about or giving people a platform um, that could really help somebody. And, and so tonight talking about bereavement and, and hospice and, and, and things like that, I, when you said, you know, watching, being there for your mom, I, I totally get that. And, you know, it, my uncle used to have a saying, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. <laughs> yeah. Right. Right. <laughs> Absolutely. And, and so now you get to definitely be there for those people in their time of need. Right. And, and things like that. And I, I, you know, 
maybe that's at such a young age, get experiencing all that loss, that's possibility that maybe that also led you to what you're doing today too. <laughs> yeah, and that's the thing too. Um, you know, when I was applying for my, my first hospice, uh position, and um, so of course I didn't have any background or chaplain position, I didn't have any background. So it's, you know, kind of when I'm doing my um, cover letter, thinking, what uh, can I say? And so I just, you know, put in the cover letter that I felt that almost for the good part of my life, it was preparing me for being a chaplain. And I had put in about, um, you know, some of the deaths in the family. And then even before my dad passed, he had had emphysema for um, a number of years. And so even helping uh, my mom care for him, uh, having the emphysema, uh, it was all, to me a part of, of the preparation process. Right. Now, I, um, it's just a question and you don't have to answer this, but when you, you said, you know, you're taking care of your dad and taking your care of your mom, do you, have you ever got to a point where you're just tired of taking care of people? Because <laughs> that was, you know, that was, that was my life. Like taking, my parents were always ill growing up and things like that. And, uh, you know, I get to a point now where I'm like, I don't want to take care of another person. <laughs> yeah. And I, I heard your one interview where you were talking about that, um, your parents being ill and that. Um, but not really because with my mom, first of all, even though my dad passed when um, I was 16 and he was only in his 60s, my mom um, lived to be 98. And wow. so with her though, she actually lived on her own for quite a while. It was mainly in those past couple of years, you know, that, um, you know, like I even had family saying, nah, it's not good for her to be on her own anymore. I mean, like the, the housekeeping, she couldn't keep up. And with me, a lot of times going over after work, I mean, I was more of the person, I would run the errands, go out to do the grocery shopping, what have you. But then I wouldn't have the energy to do too much in terms of the housekeeping. And so things were just, you know, not doing well there in that area with her being on her own. And so, um, so that's what I mean in terms of caregiver. I just feel like I didn't do it, a, you know, so much like a full-time thing and she wasn't in our, our home or my, me and my husband's home and all of that. But um, yeah, it was just a thing of, like I said, trying to step in and do what I could when I could. Yeah. Right. Right. Absolutely. I, I definitely get that. And wow. So what would you think is the most rewarding part of what you do now? Well, the most rewarding part in terms of uh, with being a chaplain is actually hearing other people's stories. Um, I know I was listening to your interview and how you came to uh, write your book. And I thought, you know what, I have sat down with people that I've even said to them, like, wow, you could write a book or, you know, um, and so I, I am that type of person. I have that type of curiosity that I like to hear uh, what other people have gone through, what their experiences have been. Um, even um, I, I used to be quite a, a bit of an, somewhat of an avid reader, really enjoyed reading. Now I don't have too much time for it. But uh, when I used to read books, I always enjoyed reading biographies or autobiographies and, uh, you know, just getting into other people's lives, you know, what they've experienced and what they've gone through. And a lot of them, of course, I learned were overcomers. They uh, had uh, definitely had some 
tragedy in their lives before there was uh, triumph and you know all of that. So, but yeah, uh, that's one of my favorite parts hearing other people's stories. Yeah, I, I you know, and that that is so rewarding. Like when you hear, um, and I guess that's really why I started this show. Um, you know, I like you said, I had wrote the book, the the book covers the first half of my life here, uh, you know, overcoming bullying, low self-esteem, abusive relationships, family traumas, including the suicide of my uncle. And it was, um, you know, I had felt that way. I felt like, man, I've been through a lot. Let's, you know, it must be to help somebody else. And that's, that's why I formed the book. But in informing the book, that was the easy part. The hard part is getting it out. Like no one knows this, this, woman from Windsor, Ontario. Uh, so in doing that, just being interviewed by other people on their shows, but then just really networking and, and finding some amazing human beings that have such an incredible story. You know, like if you think that you have it bad, just wait, because I guarantee you there's somebody out there that has it worse than you do. And so, um, you know, just being able to listen to that. And a lot of people just really, you know, want to be heard. They want to be seen. They want to be heard. Um, you know, in dealing with a lot of our veterans and mental health issues that we, that I've come across the last two years, it's been, um, the main thing is people just want to know they're not alone. They want to be heard. They want to be seen and they just want to feel appreciated. And so, you know, definitely hearing these stories of, of in, incredible courage and, you know, overcoming and, and, and things like that. And, um, you know, and I know you, you obviously deal with grief a lot with bereavement and, and things like that. And sometimes that can be overpowering. How do you, you know, how do you deal with that on, on a constant basis? Right. Um, it's, um, you know, at times it, it can get to you. I would say, and, and now that I am a bereavement counselor, because that's what I've been doing the past uh, few months since about March of this year, it, it can be tough, especially when you're encountering um, individuals that were uh, relatively young when they passed, you know, maybe only in their 40s. And if there's small children involved, um, it, it definitely can be, um, you know, pretty, pretty tough in those situations. Um, but I am uh, a couple of things. I'm somewhat of a music person. So, you know, in my downtime, I, I do like to enjoy just some good music, you know, whether it be uplifting, whether it be some dance music, you know, uh, mm -hmm. but those types of things do help me. Uh, I, I'm also a person, um, I can find comfort in the scriptures, you know, reading certain scriptures and being encouraged that way. And uh, so, but those are a few of the things that, uh, help me to not get uh, too overcome um, by the, uh, the the difficulties and the challenges of, of some of those um, very sad cases um, with, with uh, individuals' deaths and, and things like that. Right. Yeah, definitely. You know, you got to take care of yourself, especially when you're when you're in the public, like you are, like helping other people, uh, finding your self care and whatever, like you said, going to the scriptures and, and things like that, and and just allowing yourself the downtime, um, so that you could be there for other people. Um, it's funny. We just had an episode with uh, Mike uh, Vini, and that's what he was talking about. Big, big advocate for self care um, and. It, it's funny because I never used to think self-care was um, was important. 
to be quite honest, I, like I said, the first 40 years of my life, I spent helping everybody in my family, um, friends, even things like that, never putting myself at the beginning, like never putting myself there until my dad got cancer. And then we were given, um, we were given the option to have a uh, counselor if we so chose at the, from the cancer clinic. And so I was just like, okay, I was just gotten engaged to be married and I was planning a wedding and I work in a very high stress profession during the day. And, um, well, the, the, the place of where I work is like a greenhouse. So it's constant, like it's produce and that's constantly going there's a shelf life so you have so much to get it in and out right so it's high stress in that area and so with that you know and then my dad gets cancer and i was just like okay like is this this is just one more thing on top of my pile that i just had to deal with right and so the first question she asked me was what is your self-care routine like? And I'm like, you're kidding. I laughed at her. Right. I'm like, there's, what do you, what do you mean? Like, there's no time for me as everybody else. Right. Because I also have a stepson too. Uh, he was younger than he is now. And um, she says, well, if you don't start taking care of yourself, I promise you, you will have end up having a heart attack. And I'm like, okay, well, I was, you know, too young for that. So um, she gave me some tools and, and to say, wait a minute. Okay. You know, do put yourself first, find some time, do something that makes you, um, you know, feel alive again and, and just time for yourself. So, um, that was the very first time. And that was like four years ago. So it was just like spending all this time in life, 42 years, uh, and, and, and then that. So I'm a huge advocate for that because, you know, I, and I like to find what people do because what I like to do is different than what you would like to do. Right. So. Right. Right. And um, you bring up a good point though, Dorothy, because one of the things um, I would do uh, also with caregivers, you know, uh, individuals that were caring for a sick patient or an ill patient is, you know, remind them, you know, remember to get self-care, you know, take care of yourself. And um, I just would feel so badly, though, for those that would say, well, you know, I don't have anyone else to care for, you know, my mom or my dad or whatever, for me to get uh, time for myself. So, uh, again, I, I would just feel so badly for those individuals. And, you know, so with them, I would just say, well, try to snatch some time for yourself, you know, when you can, you know, if they take a nap and you still have the energy, you know, get in a little uh, a funny program or, or something, but, you know, try to get those snatches of time for yourself and um, because it, it is important, you know, and I would even say to them sometimes, you know, well, if you don't take care of yourself, what happens if you go down, you know, and uh, then who's going to be here for, uh, for your loved ones? So, um, yeah, like I said, I agree with you. It is very important to, to have that as a part of your routine. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, it's, it's like they say on your airplane, put your oxygen mask on first. You know, and we always think that those stewardess are so annoying, but it's actually true, right? <laughs> you know, you have to go through that whole thing, you know, put the, bring it down, put your mask on and 
put yours on first before somebody else's be, you know, and uh, we roll our eyes, but we don't realize like we, it's funny because somebody has said, um, you know, we plug our cell phones in at night to get recharged. So what do, but yet we allow ourselves to get down to nothing. And that really spoke to me because like I said, for, for decades, I, I didn't. And, and it's so true, you know, and now that I'm finding time for myself, it's there's sometimes I'm like, well, okay, am I taking too much time? Like, cause I feel guilty cause I, you know, things aren't getting done, but then do the things really need to get done? <laughs> yeah. 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 We're human beings, not human human doings, right? So right. I've heard that one before too. <laughs> it's amazing what we, we what we find in this lifetime, you know. It, it's I, I figure when the uh, this what's the saying? When the student is ready, the teacher will appear. Mm, <laughs> okay. Okay. Yeah. I I have this uh group that I belong to. Um amazing women and uh one of them asked me a question and and then she goes like why can i do this to my kids but not myself i said well when you're ready then you'll be when you're ready then you'll do it mm. and she come back with like oh like wow profound so anyways yeah <laughs> and so this amazing women is this a part of a like a ministry group or so what no it's more like kind of like a mastermind type thing um I, it, it's funny because i linkedin is so powerful right we all use linkedin uh to some degree to to network right well it's funny because i went to go on some woman's podcast um rock climbers or something rock something and mm -hmm. uh her name is karen and so i was talking to her trying to get on her podcast to um promote my book that was back then and so she goes well you know i'd love to have you on the show but i really need you to connect you to this woman named jen jen zahari and i'm like okay i'm ready i'm ready to talk to anybody and anybody like it doesn't really matter to me and mm -hmm. so she connected me with jen and so jen connected me with this um with this they meet Saturday. They used to meet every Saturday morning and we basically, it's like we hold each other accountable. So if somebody like, um, if we want, like say we want to make 10 grand in our business this month or whatever it is, well, what are the steps are you going to do to that? And then we hold each other accountable and then, you know, we promote each other's stuff so that it's, you know, it's all within the group. So it's, but these women are at, it's funny because I met Jen, Jen put me to this group, but I never was on Karen's podcast. Something happened. Karen got sick or something like that. So I was never, so God led me to Jen. And then with that, you know, led me to these other women. And it's, it's been incredible because growing up, I never had a lot of friends. Um, you know, I, for whatever reason, I just friends back then were not easy for me to make. Um, and so, um, these women have actually gotten me through the last four years, well, three years. Um, and without them, I don't know how I would have thrived through my father's death or, or things like that. And so I truly believe God plants people in our lives to enrich us and to get us through different things. Um, and so it's just one of those divine appointments, just meeting these women. 
I was thinking of how wonderful that they were there for you at that time. So that is great. And, and of course, I'm thinking in terms of ministry because, you know, for one, being a chaplain, but also, uh, you know, I, I do uh, facilitate an online uh, networking group, I call it, or networking ministry for women who are in chaplaincy and pastoral care. And so we uh, get together once a month online, you know, and, you uh, and it's mainly to encourage each other uh, to um, hear, you know, what each of us may be um, encountering on a on a particular. There's usually a particular topic or subject, but it is just a way for other women in in this uh, vocation to get together and uh, just say, "Oh yeah, you know, I understand that too." Or I've you know, dealt with that um, as well, because um, I know once I became a chaplain, that was the thing. I wasn't running into too many other female uh, chaplains. And so, um, yeah, last year I thought, uh, you know, I felt like God was prompting me like, yeah, it's okay. Go ahead. Go ahead and get started with that now. <laughs> I love that, Marsha, because if you don't find what you need, you create it. And I love that. And I think as women, and no matter what area of business that we're in, um, we need that support, right? We need, men do too. Don't get me wrong. Men, men do too. But I, I think women coming together is so powerful because we, number one, we don't let each other quit. And number two, um, you know, you're right. If, if you hadn't found that group somewhere else, you know, and you need that support. I think we all need that support, right? And and so good for you for, for doing that. So if I come across any other female chaplains, I will definitely be sending them to you. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Absolutely. I'm just going to take one quick break here for our next sponsor. You know, I would love to shout out to Carrie Petruch who is um, a master relationship coach. And have you heard these things over the years in your, in your marriage? My partner never listens to me and we argue all the time. My partner always has to be right. And everything is always my fault. A relationship is boring. My partner doesn't trust me and we fight over money all the time. We never agree on how to raise the kids. Does any of this sound familiar? You as a couple have the power to change your relationship and create more joy and intimacy please visit highestintentcoach.com where you will find links to her book uh, and her courses and appointments to schedule a private conversation. Just for visiting, you will get a free download, uh, download of our fun offerings, 50 things that couples can do for fun. We have the tools you need to succeed as a couple. So definitely go today and book your appointment today. And that is at www.highestintentcoach.com coach.com or give carry a call at 512-593-0524. All right. So yes, I, like I said, I, I believe being a, in a group is powerful. Uh, Marsha, you know, and I love that you're doing that. Uh, tell us, is there um, in your, let me bring up your website here. Um, Pat, how it should be pawomenchaplains.net. Okay. Did I, I did spell that wrong. Okay. I will correct that. <laughs> oh my gosh. Sometimes I, I wonder 
women's. Okay. Now that makes more sense. I was just like, what is this on here? It's a good thing I didn't have my contacts in. There we go. Womenschaplain.net. There we go. That makes more sense. I was just like, what is this? Uh, anyways, I'm not the world's best speller. That's why I have Grammarly and I have all that. And yes, I've written two books, but please forgive me. <laughs> and you know what? I'm not the world's best typist. So that's why for me to have been an admin assistant and receptor, I'm like, that has to be God. Because when I took typing and shorthand, you probably don't even know what shorthand is, but, is, but when I took typing and shorthand in high school because I wanted to be a secretary, I was amazing at the shorthand thing. But the typing, I just struggled to get above 45 words per minute, you know. And, and these days, though, I don't even know if any of that counts because you're, you know, on the computer. It's for some reason, it seems you can just speed right along. But back back in my day, it was the old fashioned. I'm not typewriter and all of that. Did, okay, so I have to ask this because I have used a typewriter myself. I am... 47 and I used to have a typewriter myself do you had did you have where you could back up and you will know, have that white tape across there and, and retape over it yes oh man <laughs> hate to even think about it wow yeah <laughs> right I mean it was so damn annoying it was like oh my gosh like how and then you know we got our first computer and then out went the typewriters but I know that there's, there's probably, there had to have been a typewriter somewhere still in my family, somewhere. Okay. <laughs> my family doesn't get rid of anything. My grandfather used to have a printing business down in his basement. The government knew about it. It was all good. But um, <laughs> it, he, he had the old-fashioned typewriter. He had the, the old-fashioned, uh, he used to make um, tickets for the Legion. And perforate them by hand. That used to be my job. So, mm. and then the 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 this um, stamp that would put number them all, and that was all by hand. I'm like, Grandpa, like seriously, get with the times. But of course, that was 21 years ago that he passed away. So, I mean, everything was ha by hand back then. And uh, so, I get where you're coming from with the typewriter. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I can't even imagine what he would think of of a of a computer, but who knows? <laughs> oh, this is definitely. Uh, I I love this. I mean, like I said, I don't think there's been too many chaplains that we've had here on the show, and especially with um, uh, you working in hospice and things like that. I know hospice is a, is a great organization uh, that helps people in in their last times of need right and so um thank you for for doing what you do because i know it's important uh for families um that that need the need that help and so what oh go ahead well i was going to say the other uh thing that i um with having this women's chaplains group is i did want to bring together different types of chaplains because um 
that's the other thing. Usually when you think of a chaplain for people that are familiar with chaplains at all, they usually think the military or the hospital, um, now sometimes hospice. But there are just so many different types of chaplains. And uh, so that was my other um, desire was to bring together different types of chaplains. Now at this point, most of us are either um, hospice or um, there's someone that works at a, a psychiatric um, institute, um, but it, it's more of those types of things. But I would love to get chaplains because, that are uh, college chaplains or you know school chaplains, and then there are chaplains. Um, and the, well, the WNBA, you know, they had I've run across women that were chaplains in the WNBA. And um, so there's just so many different types of, well, and of course, senior communities, um, some of them have their own chaplains, but uh, yeah, there's just such a variety of different chaplains out there that, you know, you'd be amazed by that as well. I love that. You know, I didn't think of that till you just said that because my uncle ended up being, um, my dad's baby brother ended up being a chaplain for the Canadian Armed Forces. Uh, he, he wanted so badly, desperately, um, to become a chaplain so that he could go overseas, right? He wanted, he was, um, my mom called him a desk jockey, but he was a secretary for the Canadian Armed Forces. And so he wanted to get into the front lines. And the only way back then he could do that was to become a chaplain. So he went and took the, the schooling. And then when he was done the schooling, that's when they took all the chaplains out of the Canadian Armed Forces. So he got mad and said, well, I'm going to Taiwan and I'm going to go teach English to, to the Taiwanese children. So he ended up doing that. But you're right. I never, I didn't even think about that. I know, I don't know what it's like for the U S armed forces, uh, but I know for, the Canadian military, they got rid of them back then. I don't know if they brought them back, but, um, but yeah, thank you for that reminder. Sure. And then matter of fact, one of the chaplains um, that uh, meets with us occasionally when she can, she actually used to be on the Pittsburgh police force. Now she still volunteers as a chaplain for um, the city of Pittsburgh police, uh, but she's also an educator. She's a college professor, but yeah. So even with that, uh, like I said, there's just so many different arenas and areas where, where chaplains are, are used. Right. I, I love that. We have to look more into this for sure. <laughs> there's a whole group of people out there that we, that we need to touch base with. Um, I love that. And then you bring them all together with your group. And, and that's, you know, that that's important. Uh, again, pawomenchaplains.net. So go check um, Marcia out at that, that website. And um, wow, what, what an incredible story. Um, now it says here that you also produce a documentary in a short film. <laughs> what is that about? I just well, saw that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, some years ago, uh, well, I, I used to be somewhat of a you know creative person in terms of poetry writing and uh, that sort of thing. So um, this happened in, in my forties um, that I well, it, it did first of all start with uh, doing poetry uh, and doing at least to do a little bit of spoken word. But even leading up to that, if if I could take a few minutes getting back into the whole thing of poetry writing came through grieving. Um, I had uh, at 40 experienced an ectopic pregnancy and then at 42 um, 
I became pregnant, but uh, in the 11th week, I, I miscarried. And so something about those experiences just opened up um, that creative uh, side of me again, because I did used to write poetry when I was younger, then got away from it for years. But um, with, with those experiences, um, I, I just felt maybe the only way that I could really kind of express some of what I was feeling was through writing. So um, it, it started with that, the, the writing of poetry again and, and all of that. But uh, then at one point I was asked to do um, participate in a Black History Month program and uh, do, do maybe a poem. Well, I thought I you know, would do something original. And so I started looking at some of um, Black history, coming up with different people maybe to write about. And um, I was just amazed at that time, the different people I was discovering uh, that I hadn't heard about um, before. So it was from that that I, next thing you know, I decided to have a small drama theater group and we would present the stories of African-American women that um, maybe you didn't uh, often hear about. And I, I called it Four Real Women or the drama pieces where it was called Four Real Women because you would pre um, present the stories of four African-American women each season. Uh, and uh, so the, the, the document, documentary short film was a result of that because one of the women that we did the story on was Janet Collins, which was, uh, she became the prima ballerina for the Metropolitan Opera. And um, so it was from her amazing story, uh, reaching that level uh, in the ballet world. And she was already 35 by the time she made that accomplishment, which in terms of dance, that's almost being elderly, 35. But here she was becoming the prima ballerina. And you know, I just got so taken by her story. The next thing you know, I was talking to someone and saying, you know what, someone should do a documentary on her. You know, this her story is so great. And then they were like, well, you do it. And I'm like, what do you mean? I don't have a filmmaking background. I don't know anything about that. But, you know, anyway, next thing you know, I'm putting together this documentary short film and got to um, go to New York. And uh, I interviewed her cousin, which was is the amazing Carmen DeLava lot. Uh, but got to sit and interview her. Um, I found the previous dance partner with of this Janet Collins, interviewed him. And uh, so the result was a, a little short film was maybe about 27 minutes. And not, not saying that it took off and, you know, became this great documentary of the ages, but it was just a matter of, you know, having that idea and, you know, God enabling me to go ahead and 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 put it together wow that is so incredible congratulations on that that is awesome so you're my second documentarist my first one was valerie mark she was on the show uh, she met the dalai lama oh. uh, i know it's like i've met some some incredible incredible women on this show like this is awesome i'm in i'm in greatness tonight like seriously somebody who's made a, do a documentary i love it well it's funny because i i want to do that for my veterans 
um, create a documentary and get it out there, right? Um, so if anybody's out there that is interested in helping our veterans, let me know. Because I have some amazing guys and, well, men and women both that have some amazing stories that need to be heard to the world. Um, I mean, I'm trying to get it out there. I mean, I have, it's on our Roku channel and things like that, their episodes, but, um, but yeah, like to, to, to create a short film or even a featured film. <laughs> There we go. Oh my gosh. Now you now I won't be able to sleep tonight. Thanks, Marsha. <laughs> I wanted to say I pray that it happens for you. You know, let someone hear this that will, you know, get in touch with you and help you put that together because um yeah, I'm sure there's so many great stories that our, our veterans could tell. Uh and that you've heard, you know. So yeah, it would be great to get those stories out there. Absolutely. But a prima ballerina, like seriously, you know, that is awesome. And I, when you said that in the grief process, um, you know, it, it's good to have your creative, the good creative side. And that is absolutely true. Like, um, I, I, you know, yours was with poetry and, and the documentary. And I, I think a lot of us, if we tapped into that, like we could, grief could go either way, you know, we could, choose to go to the dark side of grief or we could choose to be be the light in grief right and and so it's all in what we choose um and i love the fact that you use your creative outlet to be able to um you know move through move through grief i i just love that you did that yeah i was gonna say it just channeled it into uh writing or you know um this creative outlet that uh suddenly was reborn you know in me so to speak yeah right right and you know that is so awesome um that's another thing i'll have to put put piece together because um yeah i think a lot of us are creative in our own way like my mother is very crafty and I used to always make myself wrong for it because my mom can crochet anything. My mom can take five different patterns, put it together and make the most beautiful uh, tablecloth you ever wanted to meet. She did it for her, my dad's baby sister. And so my dad's other sister wanted a piece too. And my grandpa's like, do you realize she took five different pieces and put it together? She's never going to be able to do that again. Leave the woman alone. Right. And so I just, it's just hilarious how people can be creative in it. Like for me, I never thought about it. Now I see that I'm creative in, in my writing and I'm creative in, in podcasting and, and media and things like that. But I never really thought about, you know, I spent years putting myself down because I wasn't creative like my mom in in crafts and things like that. Um, but you're right. You know, it depends on what craft you like. Uh, it doesn't have to be what other people think. Right. And, and that is the, the thing we tend to compare ourselves or say, oh, I wish I could do that like you. I mean, with some people, it's cooking, you know. Um, they can just whip up something. I mean, where they find that to be a... a, a positive outlet for them cooking for me it's like I gotta eat so I guess I gotta cook you know and but <laughs> it's not like when I'm feeling you know uh that I'm down or what have you that I'm gonna go say oh let me go whip up something no <laughs> but yeah you know so everybody has their thing you know and sometimes with people it comes so naturally to them that they think oh this is no big deal you know it might be artwork and they say, oh, well, anybody can probably do this. But it's like, no, no, they can't. 
know? Yes. I, I love that. Yes. What, somebody's creative outlet is somebody else's like new thing or whatever, however you want to say that. And some people might like painting and, and, and things like that. So never compare yourself to someone else. Um, you know, that's been a huge life lesson of mine. <laughs> and it's like we always we have difficulty realizing our own gifting, you know. Um, and I do believe that God has gifted us each with certain abilities and and certain um, things that we were able to do that others, you know, may are likely not able to do as easily. And so I think it's just hard for us to sometimes recognize those giftings because again, we may do something so naturally that we don't even think it's anything special. Yeah, uh, absolutely. I'm just writing that down. I like to sometimes write notes down and I love that you said that your gifts are your gifts and um, don't compare yourself to somebody else. Um, right. I think we do that a lot. It, it, you know, a lot as women, especially comparing ourselves to other people and it doesn't get, it doesn't get us anywhere except frustrated and anxious. So we need to quit that. <laughs> Right. And, you know, I think with social media, it even brings it out more because you're looking at all these wonderful pictures of people and their lives seem perfect. And, you know, the next thing it's like, oh, you know, look at her living room, how nicely she has that arranged. You know? Yes. <laughs> so when I find myself going down that road, it's like, OK, you, you've had enough. It's time to to get off of here now. Yes, I totally am with you on that. You know, I used to I used to think that with um, with my body, and the first time, I don't know why, but I'm not. I was never a huge magazine person, um, and I went into over here. We have Shoppers Drug Mart over there. You guys have got Walgreens or CVS, and so I went into Shoppers Drug Mart trying to pick something up for my dad uh, just before he passed away, and I saw Health Magazine on the front cover was. Um, Heather McGrady, I think her name is, I think her first name is Heather, a plus size model. And I'm like, what is this? Hunter, Hunter McGrady, sorry, Hunter McGrady is her name. And I'm like, what is this? I've never seen a plus size model because for years, you know, if you weren't a size two, then, you know, society said you weren't good enough. Um, yeah. Even some of your family members said you weren't good enough, but that's a whole other story for a whole other day. Anyways, um, so, you know, in, in seeing this, it got me thinking, you know, how powerful is this that some a, a plus size model is now on the cover of Health Magazine? Um, and so it's just it's showing us as women that we're we're changing society. We're changing the world one one day at a time. Um, and so it's just wonderful and powerful on, you know, what we can do um, as women and as a collective. Right. And I love the fact that I love the fact that you're putting all female chaplains together to be able to uh, strengthen each other and, and help each other in whatever capacity. So I love that you're doing that. Marcia. Oh, thank you. Thank you. And uh, yeah, and then we're, we're right now planning a conference that'll be in September and, uh, That'll be here in, in Pennsylvania, but uh, so hoping to, again, even a greater number of women chaplains coming together so that we, you know, can be in this positive environment together, hear some in inspiring speakers. And a matter of fact, that um, 
they uh, person I mentioned that used to be a police officer and now is a chaplain on the police force. Um, she's going to be one of the the featured speakers because I mean she just has an amazing story herself. And um, so yeah, well just something else that I'm really you know psyched about right now. I'm looking forward to even though it's a bit of work for putting it together, but um, yes. I, I just um, hope it'll be a blessing to all the women that uh, that come out and attend. Uh, you'll have to you'll have to give us more information about that as as time goes on, and and definitely let us know when that is and how we can support you with that because I I truly would love to support you and and getting people there uh, for that event. Oh, great, great. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much. And normally this time, uh, Kimberly would come up and she would do the fundamentals. However, she's not feeling well tonight. Uh, so we will go over the fundamentals. So, uh, Marsha, what would you say is your three fundamentals, your three core beliefs that make you you? Oh, I would say uh, caring, um, living out my faith and uh laughter <laughs> laughter is important i feel <laughs> absolutely absolutely laughter is the best medicine is is what patch adams said right uh so definitely been a bible reader because i was gonna say you know even in our scriptures it says you know laughter is like a good medicine so <laughs> absolutely absolutely well, thank you so much, Marsha, for taking the time to be here with us tonight. We truly appreciate you. Uh, may God bless you and continue um, on your endeavors and, and definitely with with the uh, bereavement counseling and, 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 you know, being a chaplain and, and just working with people in hospice and, and working with all female chaplains. Um, so just bless you and, and thank you for doing what you're doing. Thank you so much. And Dorothy, again, thank you so much for allowing me this time. I, I truly appreciate it. God bless you. Thank you so much. And I just want to give one last shout out to our last sponsor of tonight's show. Did you know that Deteria essential oils can help support the body physically, mentally, and emotionally? And to help you achieve optimal health, aromatherapy is a very powerful tool. For more information, go ahead and contact Bonnie right now at 810-414-0929 or give her, go to her website at www.beoilywithbonnie.com. Again, thanks for being with us tonight, folks. Be unstoppable in all that you do, and come back and join us next week, same time, same channel. And don't forget to check us out on our Roku channel, Unstoppable Overcomers over there as well. Uh, and if you like podcasts only, then check us out on our podcast at Unstoppable Overcomers on Spotify or iHeartRadio. Bye for now.